I've never heard a person walk out of the stadium and say, wow, I wish that game would have included more waiting. He is an endless source of baseball and hockey knowledge. Jose Berrios, a lanzador de Puerto Rico en el Clásico Mundial de Baseball. Sean Morosi, every week with Wyman and Bob. You're being serious with me right now? We look forward to it each and every week, talking baseball with this guy. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Our buddy, John Morosi, is with us. How are you, sir? Good Thursday evening to all of you in the great city of Seattle, and, and certainly uh, congratulations to Oliver Bjorkstrand, uh, the All-Star. So the All-Star draft happening tonight in Toronto should be a great spectacle when you are in the center of the hockey universe, as Toronto is, uh, you tend to have great events. So I cannot wait to see how he performs on the big stage. But, guys, we've got only about a week to go before the first camps open in Arizona. It is baseball season, my friends. How about that? Well, let me ask you one cracking question, because I asked this of, of Lefko the other day, and he, he didn't give me an answer I was looking for. Uh, Matt, Matty <laughs> <laughs> Beneers, what are we to make of his season? Because I know he's dealt with injuries and guys get dinged up and everything, but he has not progressed to the point I think people expected coming off the year he had as a rookie. What, do you, what are you seeing out of him? I do think it is the injury situation from last year that might still be lingering a bit and just not having that that strong foundation uh, perhaps underneath him that will that is necessary to carry you through the long year. And I think the style of play that he brings, it it's tough. And, and I'll, I'll make the broad point that even when you come in and have a great rookie year, win the Calder, it can be difficult to still – establish yourself on a year-in, year-out basis. And I think when you play the kind of skill and pace game that Beneers plays, you really, I think a lot of players have to be in pretty good sync, physically, speed of the game, all those things. And if, if you're a little bit off, if physically you're maybe not quite processing and moving as as you would like to, it results in in the puck mop maybe not quite hitting your stick exactly the right way, and then the numbers aren't there, and you're a few bounces away. I think he's still he's still an effective player. There's no question about that. It's just not maybe at the game changing, game breaking level that you would expect. I think in an honest moment, if you were to ask Ron Francis and Dave Haxall when the season began, would Matty Beneers have six goals at the break, and they'd probably say. No, he'd have at least probably twice that you would expect. And so uh, I, I do think it has come a bit more slowly than you would expect. But the part of, of the NHL and building out your roster that makes it so challenging is that your skilled guys, and Beneers is a skilled guy, have to be elite at, at all times for the team to really hum effectively. Because if you slip just a little bit, and you end up producing more in the way that a third-line player would, then you have to ask yourself, well, can you then check and defend like a third-line player would? And that's where whenever we talk about players that emerge and sign before their college class graduates, and by the way, Matty, if he had stayed at Michigan, he'd be a senior right now. So that's that's important context to keep in mind here. He's 21 years old. But it, when you are not quite at that operating level and producing at that level and you're a top six player the rest of the lineup doesn't really take the shape that it should it's not as though you just sort of like in baseball drop one spot down in the lineup and everything's okay necessarily you, you if you don't if you're not a top six player and producing like one 
then you start to wonder, well, how does the rest of the lineup work and how do I fit in? I think that's kind of where Beneers is right now. The, the Kraken, I think, to their credit, have been incredibly supportive. He's been in the lineup consistently. All of that support has been there. I just think it's a tough sophomore year uh, for Matty Beneers, and, and maybe this all-star break is exactly what he needs to get going for the second half. All right, JP, where does the, the NHL rank as far as all-star games going? We're, we're watching the what's used to be the Pro Bowl, and now it's the Pro Bowl Challenge. I think baseball, MLB, probably the like you get the most competitive game. Oh yeah, there. But what about what about the NHL and the festivities and everything that surround their All Star Week? I love it, and and I love it because the skills competition is so much fun. The skills to me are whether it's the the fastest skater, hardest shot. I still remember those the, those All Star games from years ago when Al Iafredi would be doing and, and Al McKinnis would be doing these uh, these amazing skills. I think McKinnis was one that had the great shot from the blue line, just his his skill. Uh, but I I think that the the skills are what make it unique. It's really hard to play a competitive checking game uh five on five skating it's just you don't really do it that way so I, I like the way they open up the ice i think it makes for a more fun product i think the nhl is doing the best they can with what they've got to work with i loved how when they were in vegas they were using the outdoor elements and being really creative i love that all-star game that was a great idea so i i like the the way they divide it up and play captains uh i think that's a really creative way to do it for a while they used to do it uh north america versus the world which was an interesting format there was once upon a time an eastern conference versus western conference they've had many different iterations they used to do it by divisions i kind of like tonight because there was a draft and you got a chance to see yeah team Hughes and team Matthews and a lot of the stars of the game you got a chance to see their personality a little bit more so I, I like that aspect of it uh, maybe it's similar a bit to the like the dunk contest in, in the NBA but I I still think baseball's got the best and Seattle was the perfect setting for the baseball all-star game this past year so uh, beautifully done at T-Mobile uh, Seattle amazing hosts of both uh, the, the winter classic the All-Star Game, the first ever venue to host both of those events in the same six-month time span. And now we just have to find a way to get the World Series to Seattle this year yeah. and, and make it a <laughs> make it the triumvirate. Well, I will, you go. I will say this, JP, that I feel more optimistic about this team going into this, this uh, spring training than I certainly did last season. I was not happy with what they did. But I think Jorge Polanco makes me feel a lot better. Not that he's a world-beater, greatest player, but I think he's – He's pretty solid. You look at what he's done, it, but he comes with the same caveat as Mitch Garver and Mitch Hanniger, and that's if healthy, then you then you play out their potential. There, you get excited about what they can potentially bring, but they all have injury concerns attached to them. What did you think of the the acquisition of Polanco? What they gave up for him, and and how he impacts this lineup. They gave up a fair amount to get him, but I think this was the move they had to make, and especially because when you consider what he means to the Mariner lineup that he would not have meant to the Twins lineup, which is batting right in the middle. Uh, you've got a couple ex-Twins now in Polanco and Garver batting 3-4, and then, of course, Raleigh will likely be right after them, and then we'll see what France can do. Uh, to me, the big picture, the most important point to make with the Mariner offseason is they were not able to operate in the heavyweight category of free agency the way that we thought, 
hoped that they would have been able to do when we had these conversations in September. Obviously, the the TV element, the media rights element has affected it, and, and that's it's obvious. And I think that's why you have to sort of grade them on a curve a little bit and say, well, you can't say, well, why didn't you sign Otani and Yamamoto? Well, that just wasn't possible right now. And so I think under those constraints, they had to get creative. They had to move a lot of players. And you look at their lineup on opening day, you may have – Anywhere from four, if and if you want to go back to last year's trade deadline, four to five players that were acquired since last July, and then four of them this offseason alone, Polanco, Garver, Rayleigh, Hanniger. I mean, it's they had to remake things without a ton of flexibility. And the, to your point, the way that you layer in and the way that you are effective in in bringing in different players who do have an injury history, the way that Polanco does, Garver does as well, Hanniger does as well, is is you layer in and you hope that your supporting cast like Luis Urias, like Dylan Moore, like Canzone, depending on how uh, how productive he's able to be, that that group of players, Rojas, I would still put in that conversation because he may may well be your third baseman uh, when the season begins, depending on how things play out. So I think for a lot of these reasons, you have to bring in and and take this collective approach where you're i think distributing the risk and distributing the expectations among more and more players i i think polanco if you think about last year and the way things played out polanco i believe is going to be substantially better than what colton wong gave them i think uh luis urias is a better player for what they need than than who Stella was a year ago they, they they've improved around the margins and and to me the one the one player that I think is going to be so interesting to look at in spring training is Ty France because mm-hmm. he was probably the player that we talked at the end of the season that if you had told me that Ty France was still going to be on the roster on the 1st of February, I would have been moderately surprised. I just felt as though that was the most natural place for the Mariners to move on, bring in, whether it was Brandon Belt or Justin Turner who just signed with, with Toronto, um, someone of that of that ilk to to just maybe provide a different kind of an at bat but they've stayed with Ty France because I think a they believe in him and b some of the alternatives like Jorge Soler who would have been more of a DH type but a lot of those alternatives were not quite as readily available so uh it's a this is a big year for Ty France I, I look at him and if you tell me how many home runs he hits how many runs he drives in how many games he plays I will I, to me, those numbers are the biggest bellwether for this team because of how important he can be in lengthening out the lineup and giving you quality at-bats. Hey, JP, we talked to uh, Dan Hayes from The Athletic about Jorge Polanco and you know the, the worry about him staying healthy. The one thing he said about him is that he's a warrior. That, you know, if this guy, I mean, like you kind of have to peel him off of the field and that that's kind of up to the training staff because some people are saying, well, that's not a good thing because you end up hurting yourself. But, you know, that's where the, the training staff, in my mind anyway, kind of comes in and says, hey, no, you can't go because this will, you know, further inflame whatever right. the problem is. But I like hearing that because, you know, we talk about Mitch Hanniger as well. I mean, he was just always a bad luck guy. Um, I felt like, but for Polanco, I mean, that, that gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence to know that he is one of those guys that's going to, he, he'll play through a little bit of an injury. And he's been a very popular player in Minnesota as a result of that. And he got to the big leagues early. He, he debuted at 20 
And he spent the first couple of years were sort of cup of coffee seasons for Polanco in terms of getting up to the big leagues. But he established himself in 2016. He was with the same team for all those years. He's, he's played more than 800 games in the big leagues now, and he's a productive player. He's a, a balanced switch hitter. I think he's going to give this this team a little bit more of a just a, a balanced at-bat and approach. He, he will He will strike out, but he does not strike out like, Suarez strikes out or uh, or Kelnick was at different times. He he puts the ball in play more. And I think that that has been I think the 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 calling card of this offseason for the Mariners. Okay, we we can't spend lavishly, but we need guys that are going to control the strike zone. And for the most part Polanco does that. He will draw a walk. He can steal you a base when he really has to. He's not a super speed guy, but he can when needed. And he's got power. And when when he is is really organized with his strike zone and when he is healthy, I'm sure Dan told you. I mean, this, he had 30 homers a couple years ago. He's he's a really good productive switch hitting middle infielder. You do not find players like this uh readily available all that often. So I think that's why while the Mariners did spend a premium for players to get him. It was the right deal to make at this time because they weren't going to be able to find someone like this for cheap uh, elsewhere on the open market. Like they probably had to make a trade like this. And while he's not perfect, he is only in his age 30 season. He's, he's a, he's a young, younger veteran is what I would describe him. And I think as long as he has one of those, good years of health and he's had a couple years where he's played 150 games in the big leagues he played 130 games earlier earlier in his career so yeah injuries have been part of his story but I don't think they've defined him I think he's a productive player that sort of ran out of space on that twins team because they've got uh Brooks Lee coming they've got Correa they've got Edward Julian they've got Kirilov they've got a really good mix of infielders right now so this was more a case of him just having more value to Seattle than he did to Minnesota right now and I think he's going to be a really good player of all the moves they've made around the margins to their to this team in the last couple off seasons this is really the move that I like the best because I think they got a player with all-star level upside so, John, I'm curious if you think they've closed the gap between them and the Rangers and the Astros, and if so, I know, again, you always throw the injury as the caveat. Assuming everybody's healthy, how much has that gap closed in your mind? Well, I think the gap is about where it was at this time last year and about where it was when when the season ended, which was close, and a few games one way or the other away from from being in the dance. I think that that's the amazing thing about the Rangers and their story. And, and certainly they're celebrating in Arlington and, and they should, uh, but they barely made the playoffs. <laughs> so that's good perspective. I think on the Mariners side of things to say, wait a minute, we're basically as good in the regular season, at least as the team that won the world series. And I would say this, you look at the, the, the pitching depth charts, knowing that with Texas, they're not going to have Scherzer or DeGrom until the middle of the year. For all those reasons, Seattle has to like their chances. And, and what I'll say is this. Texas, when you consider Scherzer, probably will have a role in the second half at some point in time midseason. DeGrom will as well. We don't know when Wyatt Lankford comes up, but, man, he is a special prospect, one of the best ten prospects in the sport. So not only did Texas win the World Series – but they did so coming off of a really bad year in which they net one of the best, and in some people's opinions, the best pure offensive player in the draft 
is going to be potentially on their team in the first half of this year and Wyatt Langford from the University of Florida. So it all aligned for Texas really well. Uh, now, Corey Seager, as you may have seen this week, he's going to have, he had core muscle surgery on a sports hernia. He may not be good to go for opening day. All that's a way of saying for Seattle to win this division, and you think about Houston as well, they need to get off to a good start. And that has not been the script for Seattle the last couple of years, but I'm here to tell you it needs to be that way in 24 because Texas is going to get better, I believe, the more they play into the season. And so Seattle's opportunity is early. The, the old saying is true. You can't win the division in April and May, and I know that. But get a good foundation because if you're trying to play catch-up late in the year with a team like Texas that's going to be objectively better in the second half than they are in the first, and Houston, a team that seems to be able to make the ALCS on muscle memory every year, um, just don't don't play that game. Have a good start and focus there uh, and then build off of that. That's my that's, to me, the, the biggest thing I see with the Seattle team, guys. They have got to get off to a good start because this catching up and trying to make it up at the last minute like they did last year, clearly it wasn't good enough, and, and it cost them dearly in a time when their rotation was certainly, in my judgment, good enough to win the World Series. Hey, uh, JP, you, when Justin Topa was announced as part of the trade, it was it, it kind of hurt, but I don't know. We've, we've kind of just come to expect that they're going to find another Paul Seawald or Penn Murphy or whatever. Not that those guys, not that Penn Murphy was as good as Justin Topa, but and I don't know. Do you do you think that uh, that's that's faulty to just figure? Hey, these guys, they'll find somebody else. They'll develop somebody else. But they seem to they've seemed to have done that the last three years. Like these no name guys like Paul Seawald coming in at age thirty, and seems like they have a, a real knack for that. So just don't worry about losing Justin Topa. Or do you think you think they can replace him? Uh, I don't want to say easily, but they've done that. Or is that a big loss? Do you think? I I worry <laughs> because uh, I, I I've seen a great many bullpens. That, that appear to be solid, uh, not be so good in, in back-to-back years. You're right. The Mariners' track record on this particular score is very good. And so there should be some degree of confidence in that without a doubt. But uh, I, I do look at the back end of the pen and, and brash all the innings that he threw in the appearances. It's really not fair to expect him to be as dominant coming back this year as he was a year ago. Now, interestingly, Topol was one of the names that I was concerned about because of how much he had thrown. So this might might be a, a, a case of hedging a little bit to say, well, if I was worried about Topa, let's put him in this deal and then find the next Topa. I'll say one name that, and we'll see, Mike is going to clip this and only play it back if I'm correct, sources say. <laughs> this is just among friends here. But but in the, in the, the Suarez deal, the, the Mariners acquired a pitcher from the Diamondbacks by the name of Carlos Vargas. And Carlos Vargas is 24 years of age. He had a very good year in winter ball. Now, he is not pitching right now in the Caribbean Series. I think he's trying to get ready for, for spring training to make a good impression there. But these are numbers that, that it was a short look. He made six appearances for Los Leones de Licey, which won the Dominican Republic championship and is playing in Miami right now. But not everybody always advances on in terms of the players. Sometimes they'll, like in the case of Vargas, they'll go back home before the Caribbean Series to get ready for, for the season. But in those six appearances, five and a third innings, nine strikeouts, no walks. I like that. 
That's and he's already been in the major leagues. He had five appearances last year with the Diamondbacks. So remember that name, Carlos Vargas. Uh, he doesn't arrive with the pedigree of Topa, but he is someone that I believe will have a role in this bullpen for the Mariners this year, and maybe even a very impactful role. Six four two ten. He can really bring it. So and and. I also believe the Mariners, whether it's Jackson Kowar, who they got in the trade from Atlanta, uh, Mauricio Yovera, who they acquired there from Boston on waivers. Who, what, what, whoa. Mauricio <laughs> Yovera. Okay, so it's L.L. Yovera. Mauricio Yovera. You are amazing with the pronunciation. Yeah. You, 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 you might, yeah. So th- you'll probably hear some different different uh, variations of how you pronounce it, but my understanding is there's an accent on the A at the end. <laughs> Mauricio Yovera. And, and how do you say Urias, or is it Urias? How do you say his name? Urias. 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 Yeah, Luis Bob Urias. can't roll his tongue, I think. I, I, I can't roll my R's. Yeah, so. so, yeah, we'll, we'll do a full pronunciation uh, exercise as we get a little bit closer. But Luis Urias, great story. <laughs> his brother Ramon is also in the big leagues. He's one of the great uh, young Mexican infielders that's coming up in the, in the league right now. And uh, I believe he's from, uh, he's from a small town. Magdalena de Quino is his town, yes. So, uh, yeah, lo- love the story. And, and I, I hope that both Yovera and Vargas both have great years in the, in the Mariner Pack. Love it. Love it. Uh, We're going to have to bring you on just for the pronunciation. That's right. Or yeah, we'll... just feel free to play that as a drop. I'm sure Mike has got that already planned. And, again, my, my forecast of a great role for Vargas, I believe – it uh, it it will live there, and maybe it's going to be part of the open as long as he's on a good good run. Yeah. But but if if it doesn't work out so well, I think it might be lost to history. We'll, we'll adjust accordingly. Thank John. you. I appreciate that. We're going to play that right next to the <laughs> nobody ever left a stadium. <laughs> wanting contain more waiting. Waiting. Carlos Vargas, uh, comeback reliever of the year. You heard it here first. I love uh, it. Okay, we got it. John, you're the best. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Uh, all the best, guys. I wish I was breaking down a Lions Super Bowl, but we can uh, yeah, we can yeah. maybe uh, discuss we- that next time around. But a, a valiant effort, uh, Dan Campbell. God love him. He's uh, he believes in his guys, and that's the important thing. That's, that's what I'm saying right now. Great season for you guys. Yeah, yeah great season. I love it. Really good. Have a great one, Josh. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys. All the best. Thank the, you. There you go, John Morosi, with us each and every week. If you missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page at seattlesports.com. Just click the podcast tab and click on our picture, and it'll be right there waiting for you. Coming up, Mike McDonald might be making a bold move this offseason with an offensive coordinator, uh, offensive coordinator choice that he may make. We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to John Morosi, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys missed that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. We are entering Dave's favorite part of the Pro Bowl festivities, dodgeball. Bobby Wagner's out there. Is he? Yeah. I, yeah. Again, I was just wondering if you get a sign for it. Do you or to it, or do you just, you know, put your name in volunteer, that, say volunteer, whatever? Uh, because the the other thing, how useless was the the snapping competition? That was dumb. We, there was one guy who literally didn't look at the board. There's a board with all these different holes, and they're smaller, bigger. One's worth one. One's worth five. And yeah, he wasn't looking at anything. 
Yeah, and the one guy that I think won, he just snapped continually into the the, the big hole, hole, which was only one. Okay. So Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, went after the five, which is the smallest, just repeatedly going, 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 and he finally hit one. Yeah. <laughs> so he got five points, but they he didn't target any other spot on the board. But yeah, that seemed like a couple of the guys were up there, like I don't care, just let me get through this, and just not even looking where they were snapping the ball. It seems like in dodgeball, the receivers and corners would be the best. They have they're the smallest guys. Yeah, probably the fastest and quickest. Best hands. Best hands. Now, throwing the ball, not sure. But. I'm, not, I'm not sure why they had Nick Ballore in the punt catching competition, whatever the heck they named that. You had to hold on. You, had, you start out with the ball in each arm. Or yeah. You start out with two balls, somewhere tucking it in one side and catching the ball with the other arm. But, yeah, he was he was out there catching punts, which seemed an odd choice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they how they assign those different things, but some of it it's somewhat entertaining. Look, I mean, we we talk about the NFL all the time. They always win, and just seeing the the players out there now. There's a few long snappers that you're like, eh, I don't really care about this guy, but <laughs> yeah. but you do see uh, you know the guys that you've uh, that you've watched all year, and they're not in a, a big helmet and uniform and yeah. all that stuff. So it's that's probably the appeal there. So far, two things we've seen they could do away with, in my opinion, is the golf uh, closest to the pin thing they did, and then the uh, the catch where they were out there on the water. Oh, uh, they were jumping off diving boards. Well, and one one like was that. jumping off a like a rope swing and trying to catch the ball. And I think it was in Joku, and then uh, Puka Nakua was on one ski. And he was going along, and then the ball would get thrown. He'd let go of the rope and try to catch it at the last. It just it didn't really That's translate. But don't you remember doing that with like your brother jumping you know? into a pool, like jump off the diving and, board, yeah. throw me the football. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that probably would have been more fun if they did some flips or something like that. But <laughs> anyway, uh, what's funny is text line is there for you eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Just had somebody. Uh, text in saying, hey, I just got a text Ryan Grubb is the OC. Is that true? And I wrote back, no, he's been talked about as a candidate potentially, but I've seen nothing that says he's been hired. But that that is out there. Pro Football Talk, I believe, was the first to put it out there. Uh, uh, Mike Florio, that in fact, Ryan Grubb is a potential candidate for that job. And we t- touched on it earlier. First of all, it's circulating online on Twitter, and it's being very well received by Husky fans. Probably for a couple reasons. A, they like him because he's part of a team that went undefeated, went to a national title game. And B, it would, in their minds, screw over Kalen DeBoer, who would be without his OC out there in Alabama, even though I guess technically he's not listed as the OC out there, which seems, so, to, seems to be a weird yeah. portion people of are, the story. People are wanting to stick it to Kalen DeBoer. That's it's what spite, the, Dave. That's what it's about. It's all about spite. All about yeah. spite. You yeah. can't return something for spite. <laughs> it's too late. You already said spite. <laughs> But uh, what, and we talked about it earlier. But would you would you have an issue with with a guy who's never been an offensive coordinator at this level just hopping right into that spot? Yeah, you brought that up, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good one because typically the the step is that you go to be a position coach. And I, gosh, I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw that or heard that. So that would be that would be a odd. But I, I don't know, how would Mike McDonald have come across Ryan Grubb? I mean, I was just looking at Grubb, and you can, you know, obviously him and DeBoer have known each other for a long time, yeah. going back to South Dakota and then to Fresno. And I'm not sure, you know, how he has that. But, you know, look, he watches a lot of football, and if he, if 
I think for a defensive coordinator to pick the offensive coordinator will be interesting because you're that's who you're going against all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're a D coordinator, it's like a, a cat and mouse game the entire time. And if, you know, if he sees some of the adjustments that he makes and I mean, I think things are going to stand out to him in a very different way than if you're an offensive guy. And I, I really, I like that. I think that, I think it'll be really interesting to see when he does choose whoever the offensive coordinator is that, you know what are the reasons? I bet you he'll have lots of lots of things, and you know, based on a defensive uh, mindset. But yeah, I, I think it is kind of strange that now that you mention it, that you would go from you know offensive coordinator in college to um, you know something other than a position coach. Yeah, and somebody's saying, hey, you you asked this question earlier. Well, here's how it works: as the audience changes throughout the show, they don't. We love those of you that stick with us for four hours, but yeah. you're the exception. There's people tuning in and out all day. So, yes, we did touch on this earlier, and we're touching oh, on it now for those that were unable to join us uh, when we touched on it earlier in the show. But, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thought that he would, in, in the connection to Grubb, I don't know, maybe him being, having been at Michigan, maybe he had some investment in watching Washington, seeing like, all right, who's going to be playing my my Michigan Wolverines and and uh, how do I feel about that? I don't I don't really know. I don't I don't know why he would know anything else about Ryan Grubb, what the connection would be for for Mike McDonald other than he had the Michigan connection, so he had some vested interest in paying attention. But is that enough to say? All right, you're a candidate. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we'll see. I, I think it's it's interesting that. Um, the Harbaugh's are just all over, uh, you know, a lot of the good coaching candidates and how, you know, they worked with John Harbaugh. And John Harbaugh, I mean, I know Jim's coming back to the NFL, and he's probably the bigger name right now because he won the national championship. But it's pretty amazing that, you know, as much how how you feel about the Harbaugh's. I mean, I don't think anybody dislikes John Harbaugh. He's kind of the... Not John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim... John Arbaugh seems like a very normal guy, but yeah, Jim's a little bit, I think, what the quote was, he rubs people the wrong way yeah. sometimes. But, yeah. but I mean, out as welcome. Yeah, as far as, uh, you know, being around that, you know, that those two programs, those guys, whether it's at Michigan or back when he was with the 49ers and, you know, the Ravens, just very well respected. And it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see that I know those guys are pretty controversial, especially John Harbaugh. Though I mean he he's very he's sort of very under the radar. But I mean I I think anytime you you come from his program, you look at some of the better coaches, you know that's that they've been around the Harbaugh's. Yeah, and he's been there a long time, long time. Uh, Mike McDonald was uh, asked during his press conference what his offensive philosophy will be. Yeah, the percentage of when you run the ball and how much and all that, like that's that's all adjustable to me it's going to mirror our, our football team but we're going to be a physical football team um we're going to have answers we're going to try to be explosive and really do it and build it around the players that we have we're going through the process right now who's going to be you know helping design that and ultimately call and plays so um to have a specific answer for you what it's going to look like i can't do that now but that'll come into focus here uh sooner than later I'll be curious if they will, you know. And he said it's gonna it's gonna adjust based on circumstances, certainly. And there and there was a little knock on the Ravens about how few, how many, you know, opportunities they didn't give to their running backs in that game. That's not his problem. He's the defensive coordinator. Munkin, right. Munkin is the offensive coordinator. But 
I think don't you think most teams go into a game unless they just have nothing in the backfield to work with with the idea of yeah we want balance we want as close to a 50-50 pass run type of type of offense as we can get situation will dictate obviously you get behind you're going to start throwing the ball what but isn't that everybody's goal essentially to be yeah, we kind of want an even split between run and pass. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's you you want balance and everything. I can just tell you this as being like in the coaching part of it, whether I was on the defensive side or the offensive side, and this is just high school football, but also being on a college team, being on an NFL team, when your offense is running the ball well, it just gives, first of all, it gives you a huge breather as far as defense. You're not out on the field that long. But then, like, if you're even calling plays even if somebody called plays in peewee football or high school football or madden you know <laughs> yeah madden not not familiar with madden and some <laughs> of the terminology but um but yeah i mean it's just such a good feeling and you just you control the clock you, you don't have to worry um you're making them entirely defensive it's just it's a huge part of it and yeah it's part of that's for the reason why i think i mean thank god they didn't run the ball more uh, in Baltimore, because I think if they had, <laughs> they, they might have gone instead of uh, instead of the Kansas City Chiefs. We'd still be here going. So, what do you think? Uh, Johnson yeah. pulled his name out of consideration. I guess Dan Quinn. I guess we're looking at Dan Quinn, maybe, or maybe they would have held out. Who knows? Uh, and congrats to Dan Quinn who got that Washington job. All right, coming up, the learning never stops on the show, never ends here. We're going to find out what we learned coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. This is a house of learned doctors. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. What did we learn today? No one's a bigger idiot than me. It's the easiest way out. Lefko, I saw a great text earlier when you were talking about your pizza eating prowess. Yeah. (laughs) Did you see that one? And they said something along the lines. I can't find it, but it was something along the lines of like, Great. Now we're going to have to hear about Lefko and his pizza like we do Wyman and Wooster High. <laughs> Your great accomplishments. You're going to brag about things in the past? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. Dave's celebrating a state title and Lefko's <laughs> celebrating a pizza eating yeah, title. I'm, I'm celebrating it every day. Every day. I'm curious about how official the pizza eating contest was. Like, was it really just Lefko trying to have an excuse to eat as much pizza as he uh, possibly could? I had about could? 15 witnesses. So yeah, Did they pay for call it? Them. They did, yeah. Yeah. Were they like back in Syracuse or Purdue? No, this or was my one of your uh, other you gonna, favorite you, yeah. teams. What do favorite teams Tampa have to Bay do where, where a pizza eating contest happened? Well, because that's where you were, numb nuts. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> Once again, sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. It just came out. It's getting aggressive again. <laughs> Look at Matt. Matt loves it. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it two days in a row. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What do we got? Well, we learned that uh, I could absolutely beat that numbnuts over there in a pizza eating contest. I think it should be maybe O-line versus D-line perhaps, but should have a hot dog eating contest. (laughs) That'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Lefko's going, it doesn't need to be them. I could win that. Yeah. Lefko. Yeah. We do a pizza eating contest. I'm in. Lefko's stomach goes down into both of his legs. <laughs> do you know I beat, I beat someone in a pizza eating challenge about ten years ago? I what, do number that of now, number of slices? Number and, of slices and, consumed in thirty minutes. And, and what did you do? Nine, nine. Were they big or just kind of normal, average? like a large pizza from Domino's? We get, we went as simple really? as possible. Now gotta, you think nine is not a big number? But I know. You get like six or seven in in that short a time and. 
you get congealed. It gets full. There's no room to put it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I would have thought if you'd asked me what the number of pieces of pizza that you could eat, I would have said more like 12 or 13. But in 30 minutes. I'm somewhat it's, disappointed, Mike. Okay. Well, Maybe Dave, we can do that again. Dave, I would be happy to try it with you. Oh, he's chal- there's the challenge. All, All right. right. Yeah, I'm I'm not competing in that. <laughs> I'll explode. <laughs> Mike, now were, was the competition against like a small child or who was the who was the competition? A small child, here? yeah. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Who, who was it? Me and a baby. Yeah. Was it like a like a Siraj sized guy? Yeah, actually yeah. just the young dumb people in their young 20s, fresh out of college. Yeah. The things people do. Yeah. I never had any desire to do any of those kind of contests, whether it's chugging a beer or any of that. No peeps challenge for you? By the way. Peeps. Yeah. Peeps. Peeps. Yeah. Oh, the marshmallow things? Yeah. Uh, Paul Moyer, by the way. Bob, I think, knows this. The fastest beer chugger I have ever seen. Ever. Like, we used to have this guy, I can't remember his name, that would come around. He went to one of the fraternities, and he would play this piano, and then he would do this siggy, siggy, hoy thing, and he would play the piano and drink beer, and he would do these, you know, like, he would slam the beer down, like, really fast, and he was known for it. Paul Moyer is faster. I'm telling you. I need to you. see this. It's it's unbelievable. Because, I mean, wasn't it, Mora going to challenge him? She was going to challenge Jim at one point. Well, and then Jim was challenged everybody to, to things that he knew he was never going to win. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I could do it. No, you can't. And so Moyer was part of it. And, uh, yeah, if you see now, he doesn't do it all the time. But, like, somebody brought it up the other day. I'm like, wow, Moyer. He, yeah, I was like, yeah. he. It's he, incredible. He just open the throat and dump it down. Yeah, and it's almost like it. it goes down faster than if you just poured it out. It's it's remarkable. I think I think you will you will see that I am not exaggerating. I see the look that Matt is giving me right now. By the way, somebody said, Mike, Dave just called me numb nuts too, man, so don't feel bad. <laughs> it's going around this week. Oh, <laughs> uh, so funny. Speaking what, of calling, I would say, okay. So the next thing we learned, speaking of calling people names, uh, we learned what we're gonna call Mike McDonald. Coach McDonald. Coach Mac Daddy is one of our texters suggested. Stop it. <laughs> it's going to take off now. I'm guessing if want... he doesn't want to be called Coach Mac, that Coach Mac Daddy is a non starter. No. <laughs> Let's not uh, be the uh, show of record for that. that yeah, we got, no, no, no. Like when you and Graz got the Legion of Boom. That's and, right. And we on this show got the Grunge Plunge. Yeah. So say we are the show of record for some notable Seahawks things. Yeah. So, but not, yeah, maybe. Not Mac Daddy, please. No, no. no. <laughs> I just throwing it, you know, it came from one of the texters who's, I, I, I think we might have to stick with Coach McDonald. Yeah, Mac Daddy doesn't seem like it's going to fly. It doesn't seem like a limb. Mac Daddy type of guy. No. If he doesn't want to be Coach Mac, then Mac Daddy's just pushing it a little further. Yeah, might just have to stick with his name. That's yeah. it. Very. Uh, by the way, it's all. It's capital M, all lowercase McDonald. And for, we found out for some people that's problematic. Not sure Actually, why. Brent Stecker mentioned that at least you don't have to hit the shift 
button. I thought he was saying that was in. throwing him off because you don't do that. No, he was saying it's easier now. Oh, okay. Because one you... time to the capital M. I did then... that accidentally four times today when I was making cuts mm-hmm. of him. I felt like an idiot. Uh, you know what? We'll know who you're talking about, no matter how you spell it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the message will get through. When people get fine. picky about that kind of thing, you know. Like Someone in this building would have gotten picky about it, I can promise you. Yeah. Matt, how yeah. many times did you want to go MC instead of MAC? I never tried to do okay, that, actually. Yeah. Surprising. But I still tried to do the capitalization. Here's 509. Poll question. What's better, numb nuts or dip bleep? I can't say. <laughs> uh, wh- what are you, crazy? <laughs> of course it's dip bleep. We can't say it. Yeah. doesn't have nearly the impact when you say dip bleep. Actually, dip no, bleep is kind of funny. Just dip bleep. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, 206 just going with the simple Coach Mike. Coach Mike. Yeah, there you yeah, go. That's easier. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Maybe Coach, we should call Coach doesn't like it. Maybe we should call him T-Bone. T-bone. Well, I'm going to think you're talking or to me. Coco. So. T-Bone. <laughs> what else did we learn? Uh, and what has become a theme of the day, um, Dave Wyman challenging more people to competitions. I would kill to be in that quarterback <laughs> Precision competition. passing competition. I would take on Brock Heward. They wouldn't let you use snowballs, though. You'd have to use a football. <laughs> <laughs> I can throw any Dave, object. Bomb. David come walking in like Kramer with his cooler and take <laughs> open it up and there'd be just a big rack of snowballs in there. Like, all right, I'm ready to go, guys. Show me the targets. Snowball shaped like a football. <laughs> it just it has to be part snow. And yeah. I really do think I could beat Brock. You think you're more accurate than him? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see it. He still has some zip on the ball. I played catch with him out there on the outside the yeah. the uh, door out on the street, and he was. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose just to see if I could catch it, but it seemed like he was putting a little mustard on it. Yeah, he wanted it to go through your hands and hit yeah. you in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a little, you could hear a little, little sizzle to it, but uh, yeah. You ever played catch with him? Uh, I don't I don't think so. I do remember Elway's throw making a noise yeah. when it went past, <laughs> because I, I think I've told that story where I was, I was playing scout team. And I didn't know this, but he was there back there. He goes, watch, I'm going to wake Wyman up. I'm just going to buzz his tower. And so I was dropping back in my little hook zone for the, you know, giving him a look. And all of a sudden, something goes past. And then I look back and everybody's laughing. And I'm like, what was that? And yeah. What was that? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, maybe Brock will hear this and he'll he'll step up to the challenge and you guys can have a competition with each yeah. other. That'd be fun. All right, everybody, that does it for us. Great stuff today. If you missed anything from today's show, I highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page. We've had Paul Moyer on the show. He's always great. Former Georgia Bulldogs head coach and Miami Hurricanes head coach Mark Richt talking about new Seahawks head coach Mike McDonald, who he had on his staff in Georgia, and, of course, John Morosi, who is always great. So if you missed any of that, head to the podcast page, seattlesports.com, click the podcast tab, click on our picture, and it's right there waiting for you as it is each and every night. Click subscribe. That's the easiest way for all of this. You never have to think about it again. Have a great night, everybody. We're back tomorrow with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.